Hello and welcome to what is now Season 5 of Pebble in the Pond podcast. My name is Sam Stewart and I am the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year, ANZMHA hosts several leading mental health conferences which give us the opportunity to connect with incredible industry leaders, lived experience speakers, researchers, academics and frontline workers as they share fascinating stories and projects which are changing the face of mental health within our community. Listen in as we go one-on-one with these inspiring people and dive deep into their work. It is truly a privilege to bring you their stories. Our podcast episodes may contain content which could be triggering for some people. If you need support, please contact Lifeline on 131114 or visit the Get Help page on anzmh.asn.au. Join us for Pebble in the Pond each Tuesday and let's get into Season 5. Ashley is the Executive Director at New South Wales Aboriginal Safe Gambling Services an Aboriginal Australian from the Western New South Wales community of Brewarrina and a descendant of the Gamilaroi and the Nemba people, Ashley has dedicated much of his life and career to not only addressing the fundamental gap in services available to Aboriginal communities, but also to dismantling the stigma associated with seeking help. Today we talk with Ashley around his belief that disadvantaged in Aboriginal communities and the issues associated with it, including drug, alcohol and gambling addiction, can only be tackled through authentic engagement and collaboration with Aboriginal people. Welcome, Ashley. Ashley Gordon, thanks so much for spending some time with me and sharing a bit of your story, your journey with our listeners. appreciate the time and good to have a yarn with you. I'm happy to be here. Mate, do you just want to give our listeners a bit of context into professionally what you've been up to and what made you get into this space in the first place? I'll start from the beginning. Let's do that. I was a school teacher and was approached to manage a gambling counselling service. And I just thought, why not have a change? So for me, I ran a gambling counselling services, got quals and accreditation. But after two to three years, I noticed that Aboriginal people weren't seeking help, particularly from my colleagues across the state. And that led me to do some research with Southern Cross Uni and a little bit with Central Queensland Uni. So we did a lot of work in communities all over the country, a lot of research here in New South Wales from prevalence rates to help-seeking behaviour, from risk factors and protective factors. So we did a lot of work in our communities. From there, I was able to apply for some funding to run a statewide service in New South Wales, focusing totally on Aboriginal communities. And I've been doing that now for 10 years. Whereabouts in New South Wales, where where were you brought up? Whereabouts did you start teaching? So my mob is... Brewarrina, even though I was born in Colorindabri, my, right. my mother's family is Gamilaroi, my father's family is Barkindji, so I got strong connections to far west New South Wales. Yep. We moved to Sydney when I was 10 or 11, didn't really fit, lasted two to three months, and moved from Sydney to Newcastle, okay. and so Newcastle's home on Wabigal land, and been there ever since, and probably won't leave. Good on you, mate. So you're a school teacher, and then... Was it something that, has it been a challenge for First Nations people you thought that wasn't being dealt with, so you wanted to get in there and do something about it? Is that what really drove you towards wanting to go and help with the gambling side of things? I think initially, the way it was pitched to me, there was a strong educational focus. So okay. I said, oh, okay, I'm doing a lot, of, a lot of work presenting, you know, going around and visiting 
talking to schools, talking to a number of stakeholders, and it was all educa- really strong education-based. And then we had a, a, a clinical base too around counselling and so forth. But yeah, I just noticed along the way that Aboriginal people weren't accessing services because back then we had the Hunter Problem Gambling Council, so that was our area. And then mm. we had New South Wales Council on Problem Gambling. So we had all these committees and networking and then I go to conferences and then I got to meet, you know, as you do, a number of people in the field. And it was just a pattern that Aboriginal people weren't seeking help. You know, our numbers are really low. And you could be sitting in a high populated area of Aboriginal people and no one was in council. Why is that, do you think? What are the key reasons why we're not engaging? Well, we've got to analyse the two sides of the fence. Yep. So you've got services and they need a lot of education, a lot of work around cultural competency, you know, cultural connections and delivering a service that Aboriginal people are going to be connected and feel culturally safe, you know, from not just their clinical services, but how they engage, how they build relationships, what's their image, what's their brand, because a lot of them had names that, you know, Aboriginal people shied away from, like it had the term mission in it, yeah. you know, even that was, a, was, was, was scary enough. And then you throw in Aboriginal people, you know, lack of, of desire to, to seek help and to, to seek services. They didn't know whether they were free. They didn't know if it was confidential, you know, and then, and then with Aboriginal people, not too many I see that have gambling problem on its own. They're often got a number of issues and therefore gambling doesn't really get identified. So there is a, an issue in, in our communities that we're not talking about gambling. And that's my whole focus was to get our communities talking more about it because if it isn't discussed, if it isn't acknowledged, if we don't take ownership of it and we don't play a role in how we want to address it, nothing will happen. And, and that's historically what's happened in Aboriginal communities. We never did that process. It's all about sitting down, yarning, getting them to acknowledge, getting them to own up that there's harm created by gambling, you know, and why our services aren't doing any work in that space. And then connecting with those services, do a little bit more work in the space of gambling, screening, you know, counselling, but even education and awareness. So do you think there's some there's stigma around it that they don't want to discuss it? Do you think that it's we haven't created the safe space for them to want to bring it up? Do you think they've got that embarrassment? Do you think shame they don't want to come forth? What are some other reasons do you think? Shame is the biggest one yes. uh, in regards to why Aboriginal people don't seek help. Yeah, shame was one of the top of our, our respondents when exactly. we did our research. The other thing too that we found was quite high is when people are poor and when people are broke, they often get used to it. It's normalised. So therefore, when no one has any money, it doesn't create a change. It doesn't say, oh, I have a problem. I need to ring someone. So this cycle of unemployment, this cycle of poverty and, and struggling from, from week to week doesn't help identify someone might be gambling too much. So the average person might gamble only 50 bucks, 80 bucks a week, but that could be causing some serious harm. You know, so everyone thinks you've got to gamble loads and loads of money to create some harm and some problem. It's not necessarily true if you're unemployed or you're living in a household with 12 people. You know what I mean? So sadly, you know, for me, that's not a gambling problem. That's just financial literacy. Mm. You know, that's just understanding how the value of money, budgeting, you know, giving and that's where I come from. I like to give people 
knowledge, skills, so then they can make safe choices. If they continue to gamble, that's that's fine. But for me, it's ensuring that they have the skills and the education beforehand, and then hopefully they make the right choices. Yeah. And do you think, what, why do you think is the reason that we're not screening for gambling in existing services? That's my biggest bugbear, really. I've developed an Aboriginal gambling screening tool that the question is now being used in the 715 Aboriginal Health Check. Okay. Not all Aboriginal health services are using that template, but on that actual template, there is a gambling question. We don't screen, though, predominantly across the board. Sadly, our health services probably need to look at why. When you look at 18% of Aboriginal people in New South Wales have serious harm created by gambling. So they're seeing a number of Aboriginal people with gambling problems. So for them not to screen or not to ask a question, it, it kind of is confusing. The second one to that is often the services aren't funded to address gambling. So mm. you're funded to, to, to help people in drug and alcohol, mm. you know, mental health. That's what you're focused on, where gambling is seen as, oh, that's not our problem or that's not our issue. We're not funded to address gambling and help people with gambling problems. That's, that's not us at all. Let's leave that up to the gambling counselling and financial counselling services. I don't think that's the answer. Yeah. It doesn't make sense, does it? It does not make sense when you consider how high the instances are. We are an at-risk group in regards to problem gamblers. And I think a lot of that comes back from, and I can even remember back, when you talk about how young our country is in regards to Aboriginal people became citizens. Yeah. 68, we became, you know, citizens of, of this country. But back in the 70s, there was no financial literacy. There was no education about money and budgeting. So people started receiving Centrelink benefits. And a lot of the people in, in my little community often stopped work because they re started to receive Centrelink benefits. So it kind of had a flow-on effect. Of, okay, here we are getting money on a weekly basis now. No one taught us what to do with it, how to yeah. spend it, how to budget, live week to week. And all of a sudden in the last, what, 10 years, everyone's rolling out financial literacy and budgeting and all these programs to educate our people on best ways of spending their money. Why wasn't that done in mm -hmm. the 70s? Is it too late, do you think, or is it something that we can actually address if we get on top of it now? Again, it's just put everything back. It, yeah. We are doing some good work. So I was with First Nations Foundation last week and they're rolling out some, some good programs as well. I just think we we need to get away so much from a clinical-based approach because there are going to be people with serious problems. But we've always come from a clinical focus where if we come more of a public health approach, you know, around education and awareness and more more programs that are focused on people whom, yeah, need that basic understanding of finances and budgeting and sharing wealth, and accumulating wealth, I think people in large cities and regional areas have that opportunity. It's very difficult to get to some remote communities in this area. So that'll be a strong focus if we were going to head down that path. Mm. You know what I mean? I've been to easily more than 200 communities around Australia. And and that's where on the, you talk about the voice and it's really dealing with those complex communities in remote areas. It's very difficult. Yeah. No, it's certainly challenging. I just think it's so important that this gets addressed though because it's, I mean, I think the statistics you mentioned earlier were 18%, but then out of that, wasn't there something around, was it the impact can be felt for up to 15 to 20 family members or something? Yeah, well, we know that 
problem gambler can impact up to 15 family members. Right. Whereas in non-Aboriginal families, it's 10 to, 5, 10 to 5 to 10. Right. So obviously you're going to impact more. We've done work in communities where the average household was were 13 people living under one roof. You know what I mean? So it's the ability for for us to, because we do share and we, we, we're a very strong culture. We, we've had to deal with a lot, you know, historically. Yeah. So we've become very resilient and therefore we don't seem to you know, not cry for help, but we, we don't run off to services and say, oh, can you help me? Like we're, we're very tough in that way and very resilient that we'll get by. And so we share and, and, and our kinship structure is all about, you know, borrowing and lending money and, and supporting one another and feeding one another and, and helping each other. But again, we know that people have problems. And this is what I find difficult too, to, to change people's perspectives is, we know someone has an addiction, for example, or a huge problem with alcohol or drugs or gambling. How do we best support that person? You know, do we enable that by lending them money? You know what I mean? So I always ask the question, do you have rules about lending money? You know what I mean? Can you, would you lend money to someone if they want to buy you know, alcohol? You know, would you lend money if you knew they wanted to put in the poker machine? Yeah. So I try and educate people about your, the rules yep. because some of our kinship structures you can be taken advantage of. Yeah. And that's a hard one. That would be hard. That's family. Yeah. Like I said, yeah, you um, do share. That's that's just who we are. It's I mean it's it's not a simple answer, is it? To try and fix uh, to try and help create yeah. better outcomes. How do you think services are going as far as culturally appropriate approaches to to addressing indigenous gambling in a way that resonates that actually gets cut through and, and actually we see better outcomes for this. I think in this country, we're all very different and every state's doing different things. So okay. in Victoria, they're, they're funding like five Aboriginal health services, you know, to deliver gambling related programs and gives those services a, a, a strong rope, you know, really? and scope to, to do what they think's right. And so they have a lot of healing and a lot of Aboriginal specific programs to help gamblers or people affected financially. Whereas in New South Wales, my service looks after all the the services that deliver gambling help, you know, whether they're financial or gambling counselling services. Right. So I do work with those services to help them become more culturally appropriate. Mm-hmm. I analyse their, their policies and their strategies and their engagement plans. Okay. I look at their staff and, and who's doing what and what sort of cultural education and, and, and sort of what support do they need. Sadly, there's some good ones. Unfortunately, there's a lot of bad ones in regards to they're not they're not fair income interested in working with Aboriginal communities. Right, their attempts not to the standard yet that I think um, yeah. there's not a lot of Aboriginal people in the industry, and I've seen that now for since I've been going since '99. I was I was only twelve when I started. I'm only a young fella. <laughs> so, but '99 I started, and you know across the country in Australia there'd be wouldn't be eight people in this multi-billion dollar industry. There aren't any Aboriginal people working, you know, across the board in that gambling space. So Victoria is leading the way by funding those, those Aboriginal health services. And in New South Wales, like I said, we have a, a, an Aboriginal specific program, which is upskilling and training staff and working with them. And it's working, but it's a long road because... You've got to have the buy-in from the board right down through all their 
management and you know all their policies because on the ground is where we need the money the resources and the right people and sometimes by by the time it gets to the ground it's it's watered down way too much yep and where do you learn how to engage with Aboriginal community where do you learn to consult where's the book or where's the training on engaging and working with Aboriginal community because it's different so if I walk into a community like Doomagee or Pomparao or you know, kind of narrow, like there's no rule book. Yeah. There's, there's no guidelines. So you, you, you have to know the basics or the foundation. So it's, everything's done respectfully and it's done patiently. It's done, you know, and, and with the right intent. But again, these people don't have the training and therefore very, you know, even little things like branding, your posters, your pamphlets, your websites, yeah. how do you, how do you get people to seek help, you know? How hard is it? I even look at the phone numbers and how long does it take before I actually speak to the counsellor? You know, I might go through four channels or four people before I get to a counsellor. So I work with telephone counselling services, you know. How, how would you approach an Aboriginal person who wants to speak to someone now? You know what I mean? What if they say, I want to speak to an Aboriginal person? And there isn't any, you know what I mean? So there's all those challenges. Has it impressed you much, any of that, any of the stuff you've seen out there as a some good services getting around that you think are doing some really good things and progressive in this space? Yeah. Yeah. Look, like I said earlier, there are some, some services that are doing the job really, really well. Okay. And they're making a genuine attempt to build relations. I think we always hear, oh, you've got to build relationships. I throw an extra word in there. It has to be authentic, genuine relationships. Yeah, right. How do you measure an effective relationship? And if, we, if we're making that attempt and, and we're genuinely trying to reach people and we're doing it authentically, you'll, you'll see changes in that community so people are trying services are trying like i said there are up to 360 aboriginal people in counseling as we speak in new south wales well, most of those will be for financial counseling okay. but, I, but i think i want to improve those numbers and, and ensure what is a successful outcome like when you go to a counselor what what is success one session two three eight you know what i mean and at the other end how do we know that that client has, you know, got what they wanted? So that's, I'm, I'm big on measuring success, measuring. particularly when they go through counselling. And, and, and the other one that is just to ensure that our own people are delivering programs that can help gamblers. So we can't just rely on non-Aboriginal services to address our issues. You know, we have to do some of that ourselves. And that's where I think Aboriginal health services domestic violence services, legal services, even housing tenancy and all these things, they could be screening for problem gambling and referring people on to get help. So gambling and money related to a lot of things. Like if you look at health and how big our health problems are, you need money to buy medication. You need money to go see specialists. If you're gambling your money, you're not saving your money. You won't get the services to no, help your health. No, it could be related. The gambling and, and people mismanagement of money can be affected in so many ways, but Aboriginal people, and this is what I said earlier, if we don't recognise it's an issue, nothing's going to happen. So until our community, I'm a believer in we tackle best issues collectively, which means we can't rely on an individual to walk into a counsellor. We need to collectively, as Aboriginal people, take ownership. You know what I mean? Let's acknowledge that it's causing harm and us as Aboriginal people tackle the problems together. Ashley, what you mentioned the financial relationship and the impact that has with people who are experiencing gambling addiction. 
What about other mental health challenges that go along with gambling? What are we seeing? Are we seeing addiction to other things as well as gambling? Are we seeing violence? Are we seeing other other health challenges that they're going through other than just financial troubles? Definitely. When you talk about comorbidities, sadly, yeah, alcohol use is, is, is strong and remains strong when it comes to gambling. I think also my biggest thing that I always fear is we're choosing gambling as a way to escape. So escapism and, and looking to gamble, particularly poker machines, it, it's, it's our opportunities to unwind and relax. It's our opportunities to get away from an argument we've had with our partner. Tune out. Tune out. Yep. And, and we're escaping. And, and that's okay. And it's happening to all, not just people who are unemployed, but people who are on good money. I've seen it a lot with NRL players in regards to they're on huge money, but they want to go and escape. And they and get downtime. They get that downtime. During the day. So we're choosing it. And I'm seeing people, it starts with a habit. And that's what happens. It starts with a habit. And I do this when I'm upset or I have an argument and I need to get away. But slowly it develops into an addiction or it develops into something much stronger. And that's where we've got to look at how we can learn other ways to escape. You know what I mean? Getting back to whether it's just going to the gym or fishing or doing something other than choosing a machine. So that's an educational thing about looking at what, what are my coping strategies when I'm stressed? You know, we're looking at what I choose to do when I feel like crap. Yeah. It would also, I mean, we mentioned the, the importance of, or the impact that this, the gambling troubles can have on the rest of the family. But I mean, you could see, you know, other family members when they see these challenges that someone's facing you know, getting the courage up to help mm. want to do something about it and where do they go as someone that wants to support somebody. So you've almost got that support care up. Yeah, the family member or loved one that's around witnessing this as well. And Well, research would suggest that if someone identifies that they may have a problem, they're going to try and self-help. They're going to try and solve it themselves. If that, if that doesn't work, they're going to go to a family member. If the family members or, or friends don't help, then I'm going to go to counselling. I'm going to go see a professional. Sadly, I don't think we do enough in the first two spaces. So self-help, what are Aboriginal people going to choose? What, is it a handbook on self-help guide? Like some of our self-help needs to be better for, for Aboriginal people, need to be focused on, on their needs at that particular time. But also family members, like we need to help and ask it our own people, are you okay? Are you all right? Or do you think you might be gambling too much? They're very difficult conversations, and I don't see that happening very commonly because there's a, a pattern in our communities that we don't ask you what to do and how you're spending your money. Your money's yours, so what you do with it is up to you. I have no say in it. And I see that too often where we can actually say, hold on a minute, you know, and better supporting our loved ones and our family members. Like we know they've got, every Aboriginal person I've spoken to in the last 30 years will always say, oh, I know someone with a gambling problem. I know a cousin, you know, but it's so difficult. It's, it's, it's like domestic violence in regards to, we stay out of their business. Yeah. You know, rather than asking more so, we need, do you need help? Do you want, yeah. I will take you to the service. I, I will support you. I will, you know, I'll walk with you through this process. Because that in itself can be scary, can't it? Trying to bring it up with somebody that you love mm. where they don't think they have a problem or don't want to acknowledge it or maybe think that you don't know about it. 
but you want to bring it up in a way that's, yeah. you know, a, a way that's not going to annoy them or get them cranky at you, right? Well, you can see an alcoholic, you can see a drug user. It's hard to find a gambler. So gamblers don't have to be drinking or on drugs. You know, you, you can hide that, the patterns of gambling from everybody. And Especially with phones these days, right? Oh, you can do it from there. You can, you can hide. The gamblers, I believe, are the best liars and the most deceitful people because no one knows. Yeah. They can hide it. You know, even their good friends will see them on a Saturday or whatever, but they don't see them other days. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, you can't pick a gambler. And therefore, when they're approached, they're going, hey, what are you talking about? Because they don't know of mm. all the lies. And, you know, it's their choice what they do with their money. So, again, it's just a, such a sensitive area yeah. to start discussing that, particularly if you're wrong, you know what I mean? But it's about supporting them the best you can, but it's very difficult. Yeah. Tell us, Gamble Aware, tell us a bit about that, the services and what, what they're up to. So across New South Wales, all our gambling counselling, financial counselling, legal services, our multicultural services, and, and my service, which is Gamble Aware Aboriginal Service, we will look after all, you know, New South Wales. And so there's gambling counselling and financial counselling services predominantly. They're all around the state and their role for our communities, yeah, is to get that support into, you know, to, be, to, to see either financial counsel or gambling counsel. The other thing to that is they, they have a role in engaging and increasing the awareness and, you know, promotion of safe gambling and responsible gambling. So they have a public health approach to ensure that the, their communities are up to speed and, and becoming more educated. So, yeah, and we're trying to streamline, but also we're all on the same page because yeah. you don't want someone in Sydney doing something and, and someone in Broken Hills doing something that's totally opposite. Yeah. So it's always good to try and have them all doing the same sort of thing because you, when you say to someone, what is gambling counselling, the same thing, you know what I mean? If you're going to see a financial counsellor, it's the same as someone in Nara as it is in, you know, Taree. So it's in just ensure that everyone's going to experience similar thing and they kind of know what they're going to walk into. Because I know people who still think gambling counselling's GA, Gamblers Anonymous. Right. You know what I mean? Is it, is it group therapy? Is it, you know, who, who runs yeah. it? So we've got to ensure that our community know exactly what they're going to. That's obviously a huge barrier. If I don't know what gambling counselling is, yeah. I'm not going. You know, if, it's, if it's, I think it's a group thing, I'm not going. So, you know, is it free? Is it confidential? So, you know, a lot of our, these services, yeah, need to be sure that we're, we're all on the same page when it comes to educating the community. And the, the website for Gamble Aware is really informative. It's a productive site for people to go on, particularly if they want to self-help, particularly if they want to find different services. Because you only got to type in, like, your postcode on where you live and up comes the services. So it should be easy to, to track. Yeah, that's great. What, what is the website? Oh, good on you. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just Gamble Aware. If you just Google Gamble Aware. Oh, yeah. New yep. South Wales. Aboriginal services. Yeah, yeah. You'll find me. Okay. Um, and like I said, i got to work with all those services. So if they want to go bush or they want to visit communities or they want to do a workshop together with targeting Aboriginal people, then I'll, I work with them closely on that. Yeah, awesome. Ashley, what's, what else, what's coming up for you that looking to the future? What excites you most about where things are headed? Are you optimistic or where, where things are heading and are you satisfied with which with which the speed we're getting there yeah ask me that question another year right. but i think as aboriginal people that's my struggle is to ensure that our services are doing more in this space so those health screens and screening for problem gambling you know the education parenting programs you know 
talk about gambling and, you know, budgeting. So I think as Aboriginal people, we need to do more across the board, and that's even in other states. And obviously with our counselling services, yeah, continue to work with me and continue to, to grow to that, you know, end goal of employing Aboriginal people, but also ensuring that, you know, if, if someone said to me closing the gap in this industry, it's about going to non-Aboriginal services and feeling comfortable and culturally safe. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I can go do a variety of services because my focus is if someone wants to see someone or get help, there's a huge variety. It doesn't have to be one shoe. And that's why I think Aboriginal people should design their own programs. You've got gambling counselling services doing different approaches, though. Like it shouldn't just be CVT or motivation interviewing and that's it. You've yep. got to have more tools in your, in your toolbox. And if we can get clinicians and therapists to, to look more broadly, and maybe they should work more in partnership with Aboriginal services. Why can't a client of theirs also work with Aboriginal services, non-Aboriginal services, and, and together we, we provide a more, more wider approach, more, more broad yep. approach, rather than just thinking, I'll fix you. Yeah. Me, bro, I'll, I'll, you know, I've got all the answers for you. Now it's about reflecting on, I need to use others because this client could be very complex. And that's what we're missing is, is not understanding that, you know, through trauma and historical factors, Aboriginal people don't just come up with a gambling problem. It's more than that. Now, like we heard yesterday in the conference around yep. people carrying trauma for so long, and then it comes out as an adult. And manifests whether it's gambling or alcohol or drugs, but we're trying to stop the alcohol or the, the, the gambling use. But really, this person hasn't been supported through their trauma and, and some childhood grief. Yeah. Well, you make some very good points. It's been really interesting having you on with you. But if people want to get in touch with you, Ashley, what's the best way to touch base? I reckon on the old Google. So yep. you've, you've either got Gambleware Aboriginal Service, the organization that I work for is New South Wales Aboriginal Safe Gambling Services. Mm-hmm. So we have a website, uh, www.aboriginalsafegambling.com.au, yep. and all our details and phone numbers are there. I got a phone call just the other day from a lady in Kununurra because she wants to go in a working Columba route. Well, And we're talking about card playing now. So, you know, people have heard of what I'm doing, you wow, know, thereabouts, and I'm based in Little Newcastle, but sadly... There's not enough programs out in these areas. So, yeah. so we need to talk more. I'm hoping that I can get more podcasts and more, more online services going so I can, you know, start talking more to people in remote areas. Yeah. yeah mate, there's only so many hours in the day and only so much Ashley that can go around. So any help, yeah, just trying to find that point so you can spread your, uh, your time and resources, hey? I just don't want Aboriginal people to be alone. Like yeah. if you're working for a service or, or you're working to target Aboriginal people in this space, there is help there. And I'm here. And like I said, we can do this together. I'm not going anywhere. And that's where I feel a lot of staff members have moved on because they feel like they're isolated yep. and, and getting, letting them know that there's, there's support there. And, and, you know, I'm here for those who want to talk about Aboriginal gambling. Well, Ashley, congratulations, mate, on where you're at to date. I mean, the stuff that you're doing is really inspirational. It's great to see you're out there flying the flag and trying to do your best to, you know, to get the services to the people that need it and trying to make sure that appropriate services when they do need them and that people are going to be more willing to get help when they need it and make it okay mm. to, to do so. 
And I need to thank the Office of Responsible Gambling through the New South Wales government, who is allowing me to run basically an innovative program, a culturally safe program for, for Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people. I think, you know, we're starting to listen to what works and what doesn't work. I think historically, you know, people who go through university and get degrees and diplomas think they know best for Aboriginal people. But the more we can sit and listen and share our ideas, we'll come up with better programs. And you know, we're seeing that a lot more in our, in our government services. Awesome, mate. Well, it's been great having you on with you, Ashley. I appreciate your time and thanks for yeah sharing your story and your journey with our, with our listeners. Not a problem. All the best. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to share with your friends and colleagues. And if you know someone working in mental health that you'd like to see featured on the podcast, please email any suggestions to us at membership at anzmh.asn.au. You can also stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to sharing our next episode with you next week.